Good morning. All right, kids. Now's your time. Off you go. Go hear the word of the Lord. I'm going to move this slightly forward. I feel like I'm always about to step into that camera behind me. So, and I get puts me closer to you. Uh, good morning to you. My name is Nathan. If I've not had a chance to meet you, I'm one of the pastors here at Restoration Church. So glad that you've come to join us. Members of Restoration Church, so glad that you're here. We have the great occasion of uh, finishing up a book and looking at it, taking a look at it, thinking about it deeply, orienting our lives back to Jesus. And so let me pray in advance of the preaching of God's Word. O Lord Christ, exalt Yourself through our time together in Your Word. Strengthen us in the resolve to know You and make You known. Strengthen us in the resolve to live inside of who we are in Christ. And Lord, cause those that are not in Christ to come to know You over the course of the next moments. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Who are You? Who is Jesus Christ? Where is the world going? Based upon your answers to those three questions, I could likely tell a lot about your life. And if I were to peel behind those questions or underneath those questions and engage your level of affection for those answers to those three questions, I could learn even more about you. Because we could ask the same question of who Jesus is to, say, the evil one and John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, and they would both recognize that Jesus was the Lord, but their level of affection for that reality would be quite different. And so what that tells us is, is that not only are answers to these basic questions critical in the formation of our identities and orientation to the world, just as critical is the level of affection for those answers. Because it's important that you know this. We are not what we believe. We are what we love. And so again, I ask you to evaluate your answers and your level of affection for those three basic questions for life. Who are you? Who is Jesus Christ? Where is the world going? If you are unsure or unstable in your answers to these questions, or if you are cold, apathetic, or faintly affected by your answers to these questions, Well, then allow me to introduce you to the wonderful little gem that is called a letter to the Ephesian church. Uh, It is, this little gem is the invasive surgery to your potentially cancerous soul. Or if your answers and affections are positively encouraged, this letter is the smoothie to your soul. Because in six short chapters, one of Jesus' apostles answers these questions with a kind of clarity and affection that is unrivaled in the entire corpus of Scripture. There's no evident occasion we see, it seems, when we engage this letter. There's no evident occasion or purpose for Paul to write other than to further ingrain this church of whom he has invested so much in with a reminder of who they were in Christ, who Christ was, and where the rest of the world was going in Christ. Paul planted the church in Ephesus or began this church on his third missionary journey round about the year 54 A.D. Uh, He decided to plant this church here because at the end of his second church planting journey, uh, he stopped in there just sort of on his way back 
and he had a very positive response. It was brief. So he hopped on his boat and off he went. But he came back on that third missionary journey right at the beginning of it, 54 AD, goes straight there from Antioch in modern-day Turkey and goes there to that southwestern town in uh, Turkey, what is now southwestern Turkey, uh, called Ephesus. And he spends his time there. He's there for a couple reasons. First off, he goes there because of that positive influence, but also because this was an international city of great prominence. But again, he had that positive uh, interaction on that first occasion. He goes there and spends a little over two years preaching the gospel to these people, preaching the gospel, teaching the Bible. Matter of fact, what he would often do is go into synagogues when he would go into new cities, if they had one, go to synagogues, preach the gospel. Christ is the answer. He's the Messiah that has come. Uh, and so he's doing that in Ephesus, but he gets pushed back after a time there. And eventually he gets so much pushback, he does what we've done here. He goes down the street to the hall of Tyrannus and looks for a place to rent. And so he rents a hall, and there the church forms. They gather every single day, and he preaches the Bible and teaches Scripture for literally hours every single day there in that hall. And the church is formed. Uh, he's there again for a little over two and a half years, and upon leaving them after those two plus years, he goes uh, west to plant more churches, start more churches on that third missionary journey. But on his way back to Jerusalem, he stops by a nearby town of Ephesus, not in Ephesus, but nearby, and he calls the elders, the leaders of the church in Ephesus, to come out and meet with him. And there they are on the beach, and Paul just recounts to them all that he had done over the course of years, reminding them of the truth, reminding them of the gospel. And he's pleading with them, and he says to them, listen, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock that the Lord has given you charge over. Uh, Be reminded, he tells them, fierce wolves are going to rise up from within the ranks of the church to try to divide you. And he says, I'm not going to see you again. This is the last time I see you. And at the news of that, all those elders wept and they came together and they prayed. And then they, Paul got back on that boat and he headed off to Jerusalem. And just as he got to Jerusalem, the very thing happened that he knew was going to happen, what he expected to happen. He comes into Jerusalem. He has this reputation for preaching the, the gospel. And as a result of preaching the gospel, uh, he's thrown in jail. And over the course of some disputation in there, he has to appeal to Caesar, or he chooses to appeal to Caesar, which time he goes to Rome. And there he is in Rome, imprisoned in Rome. And he's writing in Rome this letter, round about the year 60, 61 A.D. This is the letter that he writes. Sitting in a jail cell, he writes this letter. He hands it off to a guy by the name of Tychicus, who's a faithful minister, a frequent traveling companion with Paul. Tychicus takes that letter and a couple other books, by the way, of the New Testament, and he goes and carries them to these churches. And so I want you to imagine yourself as one of the members of this church, one of the members of the church in Ephesus. Imagine yourself as one that came to know Christ, been baptized, become a member of this church in Ephesus because of this man, Paul, that God had used in your life. He was your first pastor. You had meals with him. And you, along with other, the other say, let's say roughly 100 members of this church, which is probably on the high end, you were formed spiritually massively by this man's ministry. And so you had heard that he had pris- was in prison, and now as you've been going about in the city of Ephesus, you've gotten word that Tychicus has brought a letter from Paul himself. And the church is gathering. They're having a members meeting at the Hall of Tyrannus. And they're coming together because they've heard uh, that Paul has written. 
And so as the church comes together, you run into the hall, you say hello to your brothers and sisters in the church, and you sit down, and about that time, Tychicus is off to the side, and one of the elders of the church stands up in a similar meeting like this. He stands up and he begins to read the letter, the Word of God. And it's the Word of God because it's the letter of one of Christ's apostles. And imagine sitting there and hearing these words. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints and of What is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his, the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, 
not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached Peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. And of this Gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And this was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power, through the Spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, 
that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all, we ask or think according to the power at work within us to Him. Be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and patience, with all and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us. According to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the is the one who is also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all in all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that, listen, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth and love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to be to put on the new self. Uh, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, 
forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. 
And masters, do, no, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you may also know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord given to us today. Amen. Amen. So good. I want you to imagine for a moment you again sitting in that uh, gathering of the church. What would be your first response? 2,000 years ago, you're sitting there. What's the thing that kind of rises to your mind as you sit in that gathering? I mean, we could study this letter as we have for months. What's the things that kind of peek up to the surface, stand out? Well, I would submit to you there's at least three things here that make, uh, that are made so clear. And they are in those three questions that I asked earlier. Clearly, we find out who Christ is, who we are that are in Christ, and where the world is going. So let's ask that question. These three questions, we will answer them very briefly. Who is Christ? Well, we're asking this question first. I'm kind of reversing the order because in order for us to understand ourselves, we have to understand him first. Who is Christ? Well, this letter makes who Christ is crystal. Crystal clear. Paul is crystal on the person of Jesus Christ. He wants us to know this Christ, love this Christ, look to this Christ for all things. The old pastor Charles Spurgeon said that it is ever the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite of this. For he is constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. And so, beloved, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. In this letter, we see Jesus in chapter 1, verse 7, that redemption comes through him. Therefore, we see that Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. That is to say, he is the one that buys us out of slavery of sin and leads us into eternal life. And not only does he lead us that believe into life and out of slavery, we find that he is redeeming all the world. 
Chapter 1, verse 9, we learn that the Father has a purpose in that He has set forth in Christ for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and things on the earth. So He has redeemed God's children, Christ has, and He will redeem the world. He will make all things new. Jesus is Redeemer and Healer of the world. Chapter 1, verse 12, we learn He is hope. Right after that, one thirteen, we learn that He is the truth. 2 verse 6, we learn that after atoning for sin on the cross and defeating sin and death in the resurrection, he is seated in the heavenly places. And this is important, guys. He's not referencing geography. He's not trying to tell you where he's at. He's referencing his dominion. That he is Lord, that he is over all things. He's the Lord. Jesus is Redeemer, Healer, Hope, Truth, Lord of all. 2.7, we learn that Jesus is the instrument of the Father's immeasurable riches of grace and kindness. Isn't that beautiful? 2 verse 18, we learn that He has access to the Father. 2.20, we learn that He is the cornerstone in whom the entire structure of a new humanity is being built. Therefore, we could say that Jesus Christ is the United Nations. In chapter 3, verse 11, we learn that the entire purpose of the world is bound up in Him, that He is the eternal purpose. 3.12, we find that boldness, access, confidence are found in Him. 3.21, we learn that forever glory are His. Chapter 4, verse 21, we learn that He is truth. 5.8, that He is light. 6.10, that He is strength. 6.24, we find that incorruptible love is His. Putting all of this together, we see that Jesus Christ is Redeemer, Healer, Hope, Truth, Lord of the universe, the immeasurable riches of the Father's grace and kindness. He is the cornerstone of a new humanity. He is the heart of the eternal purpose. He is boldness, access, confidence. He is forever glory, truth, light, and He is strength, and He is incorruptible love. This is who Jesus Christ is. And so when we as Christians claim Jesus, this is the Jesus that we are claiming. This is the one. He is not merely a good teacher, a philosopher, a social revolutionary, nor was he some created being or legendary invention of early Christians since those very same Christians died for claiming this truth. As C.S. Lewis reminds us so well, either he is a liar, lunatic, or Lord, we might add in legend, but he can't be one or the other, or he can't be all of them. He is the Lord. As the Apostle Paul wrote in yet another letter to another church, all of God's promises find their yes in Him. And so it is no wonder that this one God-man quite literally and undeniably changed the world. No one before or since could make that claim like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the all-beneficent, all-powerful ruler and redeemer, maker and sustainer. Lamb and lion, son and savior, master and servant. And he is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. All things are under his feet, and he is the head of the church, which is his body. (laughs) And that's just getting started. And so Restoration Church, it would be wise of us to meditate on these realities because, as Spurgeon says, the ploy of the Prince of Darkness is to dissuade us from looking and enjoying these realities. And so if we are going to be most clear and engage our identities as children of God, we must constantly be looking to Him, not only to understand ourselves and our world, but we must constantly be looking to Him because He is worthy of our worship. Worthy of it. The goal of our existence is not our salvation, but His eternal praise. Isn't that what Paul wrote? To the praise of His glory. 
And so we must daily humble ourselves and worship our risen and reigning Savior, Lord, as the preeminent reality in all of existence. He's so good. Nothing and no one is of greater worth and nothing and no one is worthy of our worship. Paul's entire ministry was summed up when he said, For I have decided to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. May that be the creed of us all. Or as one old saint once said, apart from Christ, let nothing dazzle you. The letter to the Ephesian church makes all of this so clear. That's why it's sort of sad to step away from it, isn't it? (laughs) It is only knowing and worshiping Christ that we are able to know ourselves as Christians. So let's then go there now. We've seen who Jesus Christ is, who Ephesians helps us to see who Christ is. So who are we? Who are we? And when I say we, I am referencing those that have renounced their allegiance to sin, Satan, and self, and those that have placed the whole of their trust in Christ. If that is you, then you are who Christ is. That is the amazing truth of the gospel. That's why it's called good news. We are who Christ is. That's the heart of the letter to the Ephesian church. It's the heart of We are who Christ is. Jesus Christ, the sinless one, the Savior, the Lord, the Redeemer of all, was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. Unlike us, who have all sinned, we cannot earn our way to God. Christ did not earn His way to the Father. He was already in the Father, and the Father was in Him. And He was sinless. So His sacrifice on the cross was able to atone for those that repent and believe and trust on Him. So we Christians, when we, when we hold up a cross, when we have a cross, that's why the cross is so important to us. It's because that cross, that moment, His sinless life led up to that cross. And when He was hanging there in the balance, what was happening there is He was atoning. He was paying the punishment for all of our sin. And in that moment, as he's paying it, he's dying, and he is dead, he's placed in the tomb, and he rose three days later, defeating sin and death. What happened there was what we call justification. By repentance and faith in him, all that Christ is gets transferred to believer because all that we were not is transferred to him on the cross. This great and amazing, gracious exchange. Justification. Innocence. That's what it means to be in Christ. The early Christians would have understood themselves not primarily calling themselves Christians. They would have understood themselves and described themselves, I am in Christ because He is in me. And I count some 37 references of being in Christ. This union with Christ. 37 references in these six short chapters. And I'm not going to list all of them to you. But Paul does command us, right? Remember the one command in the first three chapters? What was it? Remember. And so, this is your identity, Christian. This is not only even your identity, this is our identity as the body of Christ, the church. We are by grace alone, through faith in Christ. We are counted faithful in Christ. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. The Father chooses us in Christ. We have redemption in Christ. In Christ, we have an inheritance. We have hope in Christ. In Christ, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. In Christ, we were made alive. We were raised with Christ. We were seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Though we were far off, we have been brought near in Christ. 
In Christ, he has made us one new man in place of the two, Jew and Gentile. In Christ, we have access in one spirit to the Father. In Christ, we, the church, are joined together. In Christ, we are being built together into the dwelling place for God. In Christ, we are the partakers of the promise. We have boldness, access, confidence in Christ. In Christ, we have glory in the church. We are light in Christ. This is who we are. This is our identity. This is not who we might be if we just do a little bit more of this or that. This is who we are by grace through faith in Christ. This is our identity. In a world of identity politics, identity sexuality, identity entertainment, identity job, our identity is in Christ. It's the most fundamental reality of our existence. It is true. We are not who the world says we are. We are not who Satan accuses us of being. We are not even uh, those persons that that ourselves might convince us that we are or are not. We are not who we were on that terrible night. We are not the current status of our Bible reading plan. We are not our current job status, our degree status, our relationship status, our immigration status, or whatever other status that's in store for us around the next news cycle. We are who Christ is because all that Christ is has been transferred to us that believe. Because all that we were was transferred to Him on the cross. I love how rapper Shai Lin says it. He says, in justification, God declares sinners to be righteous by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. He saves his own. Add anything to that and you're in the danger zone. (laughs) And this, beloved, is why God's word tells us, Paul writing to yet another church, that it was for freedom that we were set free in Christ. Galatians 5.1, we were set free. Amen. We are free. Our identity is good. It is secure. We can rest content. So as this culture spirals down and down due to its poor returns on the cultural experiment of self-expressive individualism, we stand firm. Because of all the people in the world, we know that our best days or our worst days do not define us. Our urges don't define us. Nor do our bank accounts define us. Christ defines us. And Christ is worthy of all. He's worthy of all. And He loves us with a gracious love incorruptible. We don't need to try and measure up to everyone's expectations. We don't need to try to fit in. We don't even need to measure up to God's expectations since we already have them in Christ. We can rest in Christ and be content. And guess what? Jesus welcomes us to do that. He says it himself from his own mouth. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our life is in Christ. His power, his love, his liberty, his fellowship, his holiness, his purpose is now ours. And so now we are only left to walk or live in a manner worthy of this gracious gift in the gospel. That's chapters four to six. Our response, so we, we cannot earn our way into this. God graciously grants it to us by grace through faith in Christ. All that Christ is, is ours. And so it is only left for us to not to try to earn God's love, but just to respond to the way that he's given to us, which is seen clearly in four to six. And there is in there five walks. We have remember in the first three chapters who Christ is, all that we are. In four to six, five walks. Walk in a manner worthy of 
the calling to which we have been called. Walk in love. Walk in light. We do not walk as the world does. We walk in wisdom since Christ, His love, and His life are now in us. And as we're walking in the world, we are recognizing, we have to recognize, that there is deceitful desires. The world is hardened. Its hearts are hardened. And they are deceiving. They are deceiving. And we also know that the prince of the power of the air is trying to take us down. He has great power. So we must put on the armor of God every day. But the great reality in all of this is we are not alone in this wonderful work. Christ promises to be with us and he's given us his body, the church, to go with us. So we're not alone in this hard fight. And so as a result, this is why we gather here on the first day of the week. As Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. The day that Christ resurrected, they moved from a Saturday to a Sunday because of the resurrection of Christ on the first day. We gather, as Christians have done for 2,000 years, we gather here on the first day of the week to worship Christ, to exult in Christ, to enjoy Christ, and to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. Because after six days, it is super easy to forget. And so we've got to be here. So when you're not here, that's why we're worried. He's so good. We want to remind ourselves of this. We want to, what we do every Sunday is we gather, we reorient ourselves into the story of redemption. That's what we'll do in a moment with the Lord's Supper. It is not, this gathering is not a break from the so-called real world. This gathering is the real world because it exposes us to all that is real, all that is true, all that is right. And the world out there, as it were, lies to us all the time. So this is the place of real world. In fact, in this gathering, this gathering is a preview of where the world is going, which answers that third question. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, the heart of Ephesians 1, or Ephesians, all of Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, tells us that the plan for the fullness of time is to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. That's where the world is going. Worldwide restoration in Christ. Healing, peace, the thing that everybody wants but can never seem to find is found in Christ. That's what he's doing. And this gathering is a preview of that. All things new. Christ is ahead. This is what Christians have always believed. We will have resurrected bodies living on a resurrected earth, worshiping a resurrected Savior forever and ever always. Amen. That's what we look forward to. That's our hope. That's where the world we know is going. So as bad as things get, we know that our best days are out in front of us. And so this gathering and our life together as a church orients us into all of these things. And so I close with those pivotal questions. Who are you? Who is Jesus Christ? Where is the world going? What's your answer? By rehearsing the message of Ephesians, we have rehearsed the answers and we've given a glimpse into the affection that is attend to attend all true believers. So the question is not only do you believe it, the question is do you love it? Do you love Christ? Do you hope in Christ alone? Is He your reward, your righteousness? Is He your future? Is He your great purpose, your end? Did you show up this morning looking to hear from Him? Wanting to know Him, enjoy Him, think about Him. If you did, rejoice. Rejoice. All of that is in place in your life because of God's grace and mercy, which is active in the world. This gathering is evidence of that. That he is doing what he promised to be doing. And Christ is going to keep that in you until you meet him face to face. Until we meet him face to face. Maybe by the end of this gathering. 
But if you didn't know your answers to those three questions, or if you're uncertain, or even if you're in some ways unstable, your affections are cold. If Christ for you has not been your identity, but instead has been a kind of tool to accomplish your own destiny, your own purpose, and you just want to use Jesus. Well, might I encourage you, friend, I think what the message of Ephesians would encourage you to do is to turn from that sin and trust in Jesus alone. Trust him. We've all sinned. Every single person in this room has sinned this week. But if it has been the guiding light of your life, guiding darkness of your life, to just sort of use Jesus, use the church, use things like that to sort of accomplish your own end. Turn from that. Find life and liberty in Christ alone. He is your only hope. You cannot earn your way to heaven. This gathering will not do it. You cannot take this Lord's Supper. It will do nothing for you in earning your way to heaven. Christ is the only way. We see that so clearly in Ephesians. Turn from sin. Trust Him. And be received. Be received into his life. Rest in him. Find in him all that you need. Hope in him. Wait upon him. And if you want to do that, the thing you have to do is you have to respond to that gospel. Tell somebody. I want to do that. Come talk to me. Talk to the friend around you. But who are we, church? Members of Restoration Church, who are we? We are in Christ. In him we are beloved. We are redeemed by the blood of Christ. And who is Jesus Christ for us? He is our Lord. He is our light. He is our life. He is our redemption. He is the restorer of all things. He is heaven's darling. And we will see him. Because the world is going to a day when he will make all things right. And so as we step away from this amazing letter, I leave us, Restoration Church, with the wonderful exaltation in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all, we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, rooted and grounded in love, may we have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. May we walk in a manner worthy of this calling to which you have called us with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And may we do that to the praise of Your glorious grace. And Lord, if there are those that are here that need to do that, that haven't done that, oh God, give them mercy, courage, strength, resolve to leave it all and follow Jesus and respond. And even as we go now to the taking of the Lord's Supper, Your Supper, may we do so responding, walking in Your love. We ask this in Christ.